0: I want to speak to you on this subject from John chapter 2, when Jesus went to his church, when Jesus went to his church. Won't you stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able and honor and in reverence for the reading of God's word in John chapter 2, begin to read in verse number 13 as we continue a study we started several weeks ago in the book of John, uh, John chapter 2, begin to read in verse 13. Bible says, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem He found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal... For your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show to us since you do these things? And Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then the Jews said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple. How will you raise it up in three days? He was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them and they believed the scripture and the word which jesus had said let's pray together father we ask that your holy spirit would challenge us god i pray that this will not be just another sunday lord i pray today for the needs that are represented in this place i pray for those who have never been saved you will draw them they'll choose to turn and receive jesus today god i pray as brother ray I uh, prayed uh, uh, just a moment ago, you will challenge our church today. You will speak through your word to where we stand in need today. And Father I pray, there will be a, a time of revival and renewal in this place today as we're confronted with your word and we're challenged by your spirit. And as we come to a time of invitation, God, I pray we won't waste the opportunity that's ours, but we'll submit ourselves to your precious word and to your perfect will, and God will leave changed because have we responded to your plan today. Be Lord over all this time, and we'll give you thanks for what we trust you're going to do now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. Well, it's pretty interesting from a wedding uh, to the temple. Verse number 12 uh, from our text that we looked at last week said, "Uh, and after this, after he had been at that wedding in Cana and performed that miracle that only the servants knew about and his mother, uh, he went down to Capernaum. He, his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they did not stay there many days. Verse 13 says, Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Um, a, a lesson we weren't able to, to look at in a new series we started in, on, in Sunday school, uh, Jesus was explaining to a uh, teacher of the law, one who studied the law, uh, just who our neighbor is. And he told a story about the good Samaritan who went down from Jerusalem uh, to Jericho. You, if you're going from Jerusalem, you're always going down. And If you're going to Jerusalem, you're always going up. And so Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. That's where our text picks up today. It's Jesus going to his church. We find him in the temple. And I use church as a play on words. It wasn't like the, uh, the after Pentecost, day of Pentecost church. But this is where people gathered uh, to worship. And so calling it church rather than uh, temple uh, really strikes more home. Uh, to our heart. But three truths that we can glean this morning. This is one of those passages of Scripture um, that you could just read right over. But friend, i am telling you, there are three great truths that can really speak to our heart and our life that come out of this text of when Jesus went to church. Number one, I want you to notice this morning, a missed Passover, a missed Passover. Look what the Bible says again, verse number 13. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Well, we, for that really to make uh, sense to us, unless we're just constantly studying the Passover, we need to be reminded of some truths. Remember that Exodus chapter 12 was the institution uh, of um, the Passover. The nation of Israel had been enslaved by Egypt, as God had promised during many years of bitterness, and God had promised to lead them out again. And he had performed plagues uh, amongst the Egyptians, but it was also for the Jews. Remember that the plagues that God sent were well, not just to cause Pharaoh to let the people go, but it was also to cause the Jews to follow, because First Corinthians 1 says that the Jews require a sign. But Pharaoh continued to harden his heart, and as a result of that, he crossed a deadline, and God hardened his heart. And so now he's come to a place that God's going to send one more plague upon the people, but he's going to send grace amidst uh, his people so that they won't suffer from the judgment of death. Uh, Just to read some text to you from Exodus chapter 12 Bible says in Exodus 12 verse 1 that the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be the beginning of months and shall be in the first month of the year to you. Now listen you don't have to turn there but I'm going to spend some time doing some background. Verse 3 says speak to all the congregation of Israel saying. Uh, on the 10th of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Verse 4 says, if the household is too small for for that lamb, then let him who is his neighbor next to him take according to the number of persons. Verse 5 says, the lamb was to be without blemish. So God says, we're going to institute the Passover. I'm going to send the judgment of death, but I'm going to give you My chosen people, a way to escape that. But it's it's a free will choice you're going to have to make. Verse verse 6 says, You're going to have to keep that lamb with you. It's going to, don't miss this, it's going to dwell in your midst. It's going to live inside your home. It's going to be a part of of your life. But then the Bible says at the end of verse number 6, there's going to come a time, an appointed time, you're going to have to kill it at twilight. So the lamb was going to die. Verse 7 says, Then you shall take some of the blood. And you shall put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house uh, where you shall eat. And then you shall eat the flesh of that lamb on that night. And so they were to apply the blood by faith over the doorposts of their house. And then they were to internalize the lamb by eating it. And the Bible says in verse number 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike the firstborn." In the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and will be, it will be against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now listen to verse 13. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so the angel of death was going to begin to move through Egypt while the people were enslaved. And God says there's going to be one thing that's going to make a difference as to whether you're going to live or whether you're going to die, whether the judgment of death will pass over your family. And the one thing that made a difference, friend, was the blood of the Lamb. They had to willingly choose to apply the blood of the Lamb. And it wasn't just to be a one-time thing um, that would happen. Well, it actually came to pass. Verse 29 of Exodus chapter 12 says, It came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants, and all of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead, except where the blood had been applied. And so God had instituted the Passover, and it was something that had happened, but they were to memorialize it. They were to remember what had happened. Remember that the book of Deuteronomy is the book of rememberings. The nation of Israel has been led out because of sin and rebellion. They've wandered aimlessly for 40 years, led by the direction of God, but they've just wandered around in circles. Well, now, all that prior, prior generation who had rebelled against the command of God, they've died. Those under the age of accountability and Joshua and Caleb, they're ready to move forward. And so Moses is preparing the people as they've been led out of Egypt. Don't miss this. They've experienced freedom from bondage. Now they're ready to cross over Jordan into the promised land, which represents the abundant life that God has for them. And God is trying to remind them of truth to get them, to get them ready. And in verse uh, number 1 of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 16, the Bible says, Observe the month of Abib and keep the Passover of the Lord your God in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt that night. And so God begins to give them some instructions on how they're to do that. But yearly, the Passover was to be memorialized. There was to be a time set apart where they would, and and there were special instructions about how they were to gather, how they were to worship. And that's what Jesus has brought himself up to the temple to do. He's come to celebrate the Passover with the nation of Israel. But it's very interesting that the Apostle Paul writing uh, to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 7 says this. Now listen to me this morning. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may have a new lump. Part of keeping the Passover is to make sure they had no leaven in their house whatsoever. There was to be a lamb that was to be killed. It was to be eaten. There was a specific way it was to be cooked when they celebrated the Passover. But they were also to have bread that they ate. But there couldn't be any leaven. Leaven represents sin. And so all of the bread that they were to eat, it couldn't be found in the house. They were to get all sin out of their lives. They were to participate in the Passover in a right way. Therefore, purge out all the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you are truly unleavened. He's speaking to the church at Corinth, Paul is. Now listen, listen to these words. You need need to remember this. Paul says, for indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. And so the nation of Israel was to gather together. When Jesus went to church that day, the nation of Israel was memorializing when God had made a way through the blood of the Lamb to lead them out of Egypt's captivity. What they couldn't see, friend, was the real Passover was standing in their midst. They had missed the Passover. They were celebrating Passover, but Jesus Christ was their Passover. And He was standing in their midst, and they couldn't see it. That's why John, in John chapter 1, verses 29 and 36, John the Baptist saw Jesus come, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He is God's Lamb who gave His life, And when we apply His blood by faith to the doorposts of our heart, when one day, friend, the judgment of death comes against us, the judgment of death will pass over us. And the one thing that makes a difference, friend, is not whether you were a member of a church, not how much good you did, not matter how many times you've been baptized, but whether the blood of Christ was ever applied to your life. That's what makes the difference. And so it's it's not about the ceremony. They were so called up in the ceremony the things that they had attached to church. They were so called up in just doing the Passover that they missed the Passover standing in their midst. Standing in their midst, friend, was the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, and they couldn't even see it. They completely completely missed him. They missed, friend, that it was Jesus that led them out before. Listen, it was the blood of the Lamb that the angel of death passed over, but Jesus himself led them out of Egypt. You say, well, I thought Moses led them out. He did, friend, but he was following the angel of the Lord. Listen to what Exodus chapter 14 and verse number 19 says. Now prior to that, these, the 18 verses before, the nation of Israel, they've left Egypt. Well, now they approach a great obstacle. It's their first test. It's the Red Sea. And now Pharaoh's decided because of his pride, he's upset. And so he's going to deal with these people. He's going to wipe them out Once and for all. But listen to what Exodus chapter uh, 14 and verse 19 says. And the capital A-N-G-E-L, the angel of God. Who's that? Jesus Christ. That is a pre-New Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel. Who led them out of, uh, of slavery? It was Jesus Christ. He's leading them. Now there's a challenge behind them. And the Bible says he moved and went behind them now. And so now there's a threat against their freedom. And the angel of the Lord stands between them and the nation that would enslave them again. And the Bible says the pillar of the cloud went before them and stood. And so here they are. Don't miss this. All of the Israel's gathered together. Everybody's got their lamb. They're so excited. It's like homecoming. No matter where you live, everybody's... Come back to the temple. And they're talking about, oh, I haven't seen you in a year. How's everybody? How are the kids? Great. Yeah, I don't like my job either. You know, all these, all these things. They're, they're talking about all these different things. You know, Passover. But yeah, it was great. Isn't that something? Yeah, Passover. But listen, the Passover was in their midst. And they missed him. He was standing there in their midst, and they absolutely missed him. They missed Jesus. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 26. And verse number 1 says, And it shall be when you come to the land. Now remember, the, this is the book of memories. They've been led out. They've crossed the Red Sea. Forty years they've wandered. There's a new generation that's ready to go in. And God says, It shall be when you come into the land of, that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, you shall possess it, and you shall dwell in it. God freed them for a purpose. It's Jesus Christ, friend, that gave them life, and where the book of Deuteronomy is concerned, is about to give them life more abundantly as they cross over. He said, when you come into the land, that abundant life, possess it and dwell in it. And so here they are, years later, back at the temple celebrating Passover. listen to me. And the Passover standing beside them, the one that God promised was going to come that would lead them now into a full spiritual freedom. All they had right now is political freedom. Even though they were enslaved by Rome, they were still the nation of Israel. But Jesus came to give them true spiritual freedom. He's in their midst, but they missed him. That's the song, you will and Angie just sang. Friend, listen, he was in the shadows. He was there in their midst as just another person celebrating, but he was the pastor. But I want not you to listen to me? The same thing can happen in a local church. You could come here this morning, go on to Sunday school, but focused only, somebody was in your chair, whether it was too hot, whether it was too cold, whether they didn't have your coffee, and you can absolutely miss Jesus. You can hear the lesson taught, but you miss Jesus, that he's the only one that can help you love somebody that's unlovable because he's Lord of your life, you love him, and he helps you then to pray for all people. You can miss Jesus. You can sing all the songs like, Oh, I like the, I like the beat of that song. Who that, that makes the hair stand up on my arm. I really love that. And you, you can hear and respond to all that, but you can still miss Jesus and all the lyrics. You can hear this text this morning, friends. Like, well, we're here. What lunch is going to be, oh, about 35 minutes. And you can miss Jesus. He was in their midst, and he missed him. And friend, I hope this morning that you won't see me and you won't just hear my words, but you'll see Jesus Christ in his word today. Don't, don't miss Jesus. Now, I want to ask you this morning, friend, have you been saved from your sin? Are you still in sin's captivity? See, the nation of Israel, they were enslaved by Egypt, but it's Jesus Christ that set them free. Now, I'm telling you, if you're still lost in your sin today, you will never be able to free yourself. Only Jesus Christ can lead you out. You need to see that this morning. By faith, apply His blood. Church family, do you see Him this morning? Do you see Him in the text? Did you, did you see Him in your lessons? Have you seen him when we prayed? The reason that we've gathered here today, friend, is not because that's just what we do in the South. It's not because it's just Greenwood and it's our home church. We come to this place as a body of believers to see Jesus Christ, to worship him. Worship's not about music type and preference. Worship is enjoying the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, friend, you, listen, you can open your Bible tomorrow morning to do your quiet time because that's what you've been trained and discipled to do. But if you don't see Jesus when you're reading, you've missed it. You can pray, but if you don't see Jesus, when you're, then you're just repetitiously saying the words. You can go and share the gospel because you know that's what you're supposed to do. But if you don't see Jesus who's going before you and who loves that person, then you're going through the motions. God will still honor his word and accomplish things. But if you don't see Jesus, then you've missed him just like they missed the Passover. Don't miss Jesus today. Secondly, I want you to know it's not only a missed Passover, but a misused purpose. A misused purpose. Look what the Bible says again in John chapter 2, verse 13. Now, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Well, there need to be animals for sacrifice. Okay, so that's a, a general need. But notice what the Bible says when he goes inside the temple. And I want to remind you, it was his temple. And we'll, we'll do some background on that in just a minute. He saw those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, and money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip out of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money, overturned the tables. Now, don't miss this. And he said to those who sold doves, all those who had sold the animals, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And I just want to say, you know, not pausing long, you don't see or hear about the righteous indignation of Jesus in much preaching and teaching anymore. You just don't hear that. You hear a lot about the love, the kindness and compassion, and that is true, and thank God for his grace and mercy. But friend, listen, Jesus also has a righteous indignation. And when ministry and the life that he has given a person is not being used the correct way, Jesus is not just a passive, will bless their heart, maybe they'll get in line. It angers God when we misuse the spiritual opportunities that he has given us. The temple was to be a place of ministry to tell Jew and Gentile alike, listen, about Passover and crossover. This, it was to be a place where, where they were waiting for Christ to come. And they were serving faithfully till Jesus came in God's appointment in the fullness of time when Christ would be born of a virgin. They were to daily be living out the law as best they could, being who God had called them to be, a separated people. And don't miss this. The, the temple was to be a place that they told Jew and Gentile alike about Passover, how he had redeemed them out of Egypt, and crossover, how he took them over the Jordan into the abundant life that they had, and the court of the Gentiles is where all of this took place. This was a part of the temple that had been added during Herod's addition, his annex, and it was, it was a room where Gentiles could come and they couldn't go any, any further. It's, it's like when you, if you go to Washington DC and you visit the Capitol, you can only go so far, and then there are places that only people who work there uh, can go. And so you're able to read the history and see the sights and hear some of the sounds, and your tour agent will tell you about things that are happening in this room and that room. And and, but it's only people who have full access can go. Well, only the Jews could go further into the temple. But Gentiles could come and hear about the love of God, the grace of God, the Passover, and the crossover, which all pointed to the soon coming Messiah. You know, Exodus chapter 25, verse 8. Exodus 25, verse 8, that's the first mention of the tabernacle. After God had led the nation of Israel, he told Moses, I'm going to give you a plan and a purpose to create a place where I can dwell in your midst. And so he began to give him plans for the tabernacle. Uh, Exodus chapter 40, uh, verses 35, uh, 34 and, and 35 uh, say this, uh, that the tabernacle had been constructed, then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And this was just a tent. Uh, that had different uh, articles of furniture in it, that we did a whole study one summer on. But but all of these things had meaning and purpose. But in the Holy of Holies, listen, that's where the Shekinah glory of God would dwell in the midst of his people. And it was all symbolic one day of how Christ would dwell in our hearts. Well, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, remember after David had sinned, being stirred by Satan to number the people, it was a sin of pride. God sent judgment, and an angel of death was just killing people with a sword, and the prophet Gad came and began to speak to David and says, you've you've got to make an offering, and God says, you've got to go to this appointed place, talk to this appointed man who's threshing wheat, and you've got to build an altar, and you've got to make a sacrifice for the sin that you've committed, and David went and found a man at the appointed place. He was doing what he was said he was supposed to be doing. He purchased that plot of land. He made a sacrifice there. And it was later on that very threshing floor, listen, that the, the temple where Jesus is would later one day be built. And David worked as hard as he could to provide all the furnishings so that his son Solomon, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, through verse through 2 Chronicles chapter 7, would build the temple. And it was later destroyed through the Babylonian judgment. It was rebuilt during Ezra's ministry, uh, beginning in Ezra chapter one, and then Solomon, as we, I mean, then Herod, as we see in our text today, he added to that for 46 years, began to build, and he made additions to that to that current temple. That's where Jesus is. Okay, that's the background for it. That's where the building that he's at today. Well, God had designed. Don't miss this. God had designed the temple to be a place where His glory would reside he had built that so he, he would dwell amongst his people and it would be a place where his glory would reside, where worship would take place and again again worship's just enjoying god's presence through prayer through song through service through sacrifice but also don't forget this part it's where those who were there would share to a lost and dying world about passover and about crossover that's what they were to be sharing, what God had done for them. And that's what your testimony is, friend. In two minutes or less, you ought to be able to tell people your life before Christ, how you met Christ, and what your life's been since after Christ. That's what they were simply to do, friend. To tell. You, you're just telling people what they were to do, how, how God passed, the sin of death is going to pass over you because of the blood of Jesus. How, how he's led you know even though the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy John 10. Now you've got spiritual life, but you've crossed over. You've got life more abundant. And that's what they were to do. That's what was to take place at the temple. Exodus 19 and verse 6 says that God's plan, listen to me, for the nation of Israel is that they were to be a kingdom of priests. They were to be people who served him continually by sharing, preparing the world. John the Baptist came to prepare people for the coming of Christ. Well, he was the forerunner, but the nation of Israel was to be the pre-forerunner. That's their only mission is the kingdom of priests was to tell a lost and dying world about God's plan. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That he told Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll I'll curse those that curse you, and through you shall all families of the world be blessed, Jew and Gentile alike. That was their mission. That's what was to take place at the temple. That's what they were to be doing, but there was a misused purpose. I find it interesting that the Apostle Paul again to a troubled church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 19. Now remember, there's an original message to the original audience with any text. There is a time-transcending truth. And you may be sitting here this morning because I, I, I've known you for six years. You're like, what's this got to do with us? I'm going to tell you what it is right now. God's going to answer your request. Here it is, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. Listen to what Paul says. Do you not know that your body is the temple. What What would he say? The temple. Paul says, do you not know, church at Corinth, that your body, all those who have been saved, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. The Jews had forgotten, don't miss this, that that, that building that they had, it didn't belong to them. It belonged to God. And they'd still be making bricks if it weren't for the grace of God who led them out by the blood of the Lamb. And they were misusing the spiritual freedom that they had. They were misusing the temple for personal gain. And Paul's trying to remind the church that even as God was going to inhabit the temple, when you get saved, He inhabits you in the person of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10. through 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10. Listen to what Peter says to the church. He says, but you are a chosen generation. Listen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Listen, he's not talking to Jews. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who've been saved. That you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have now obtained mercy. God says that's, that's your purpose as the Spirit of God inhabits you. And that's why Paul would, would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. He said, do you not know that you're the temple of God, that, you're, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone, listen, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. What's he saying? He said if wisdom begins to say, well, you know what? It's my body. I mean, that you, hadn't you heard that in the news lately? My body, nobody's going to tell me what to do with my body. Friend, I want to remind you, the breath that you have, it belo- everything you have belongs to Jesus Christ. When you got saved, you made the last free will choice you'll ever make. You gave everything that about you and that is tied to you to him. He owns it all. He owns your schedule. He owns your time. He owns your money. He owns your house. He owns your family. He owns everything. But if the wisdom of the world says no... It's yours. It's all you. Paul says, don't listen to that. Make, your give, make sure you've got a teachable spirit. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written. He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. That is, God knows when people say, oh, we're, I'm serving God. God knows the difference. Therefore, let no one boast in me, and for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos, stay with me, or Cephas, or the world of life, death, or things present, or things to come, All are yours. It says, for you are Christ's, and Christ is God. What What was Paul reminding the church at Corinth? That their life, don't miss this, and their body, and everything that would be lived out in their body, in word or deed, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, it was to be done in God's will, in accordance with his word, and for his glory. The nation of Israel had taken the temple, and they were misusing it. They were using it for personal profit. They were using it for personal gain. Why was Jesus so upset with this? Because they had failed to be faithful to do with the temple what God designed the temple to be done with. Now, don't you listen to me. When you take the spiritual life that God has given you and the life that he wants to live through his temple, your body, and you begin to use that body and your life for personal gain, it makes God angry. It makes him angry, so much so that the Bible says in Revelation chapter 3, a text we've been looking at, when there's so much worldly influence in your life that it leads you to a place of being lukewarm, it makes God want to puke. He says, when I see that lukewarm life, I want to vomit you out of my mouth. And so, friend, do you know that the real do you know the real reason the Jews had turned the temple, the court of the Gentiles, into a place of personal gain? You want to know the real reason? Stay with me. Two reasons. Number one, they no longer love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, they didn't love their neighbors their If they loved God, they'd been faithful to be the kingdom of priests that he called them to be. If they loved their neighbor, they wouldn't have been there buying, selling, and trading, and they surely wouldn't have brought all that mess into the temple because they loved their neighbors their self. And they wanted to be telling people about how they could experience Passover and crossover. But they failed to do that because they didn't love those two things. God was no longer first place in their life. Do you know the real reason disciples turn the temple of Christ into a place of personal gain? What's the temple? My body. When I get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within me. Do you know the reason that so many disciples turn the temple of God into a place of personal gain? What is that? Whatever it is that you're chasing after. Because you no longer love God all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you don't love your neighbors yourself. Jesus was turning the tables upside down because they, had, they were misusing the temple. Now, I want you to listen to me. When you use the spiritual freedom and spiritual life that you have in this, the, the physical life that you have for personal gain that is apart from God's word and God's will, you no longer love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you no longer love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed it up and said it could be summed up in one verse, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Y'all write that in the margin of your Bible. He says this, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or either you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and riches. And we read that, we think, oh, money. I don't love, I don't have any money to love. That's not what he said. Riches are whatever you're chasing more than God. Do you see that this morning? Jesus said you, you can only have one master. You can only have one master. And so, nine verses later, the secret to all of that is Matthew 6, 33. It's to put Christ first. Then he'll add all of these things. Then he'll add all these things. I want you to listen to me this morning. Whatever you have to do to accomplish your heart's desire, you're going to do it at some point. Whatever you have to do to accomplish your heart's desire, you're going to do it at some point. The, the Jews at that time, they looked past their responsibility to share Passover and crossover. And what they began to see was, man, we could make some money at this. All these Gentiles are coming, man, we, hey, we, we could profit from this. And so that's what they wanted to accomplish. And so what they do, they brought the animals into the temple. Well, I don't know how many of you worked on the farm or ever gone into a barn or gone to the stockyard. But I want to tell you something. When you bring animals with you, not long after that, friend, something else is going to show up with them. And that's what they brought into the church. And when you, listen, when you begin to go after whatever it is that you're chasing, at some point, my friend, you begin to defile the temple of God. No longer is the body, no longer is the freedom that God has given you spiritually being used for its proper purpose to share about Passover and to share about crossover, to be an individual who wholly lives on mission and follows the will and the Word of God in all ways. Why did Jesus turn and and just tear everything up? Because they were misusing it. I want to ask you a question this morning. Would you be honest? Is there a day that you've loved Jesus more than you do today? Be honest now. Friend, God knows the answer. You know, we come to church and, you know, everybody thinks they've got to put on their church face. Friend, listen, God sees past the church face and he looks right here. Is there ever a day that you've loved Jesus more than you do today? Let me ask you this question. Is there ever been a day you've been more faithful to Jesus than you've been than you are right now? Is is, Is there ever been a day that you've been more surrendered to Jesus than you are today? then friend, you've turned the temple into a place of personal gain. You can only serve two masters. You're going to serve you, or you're going to serve yourself. And this is what you don't even realize. When you're serving yourself, you're serving the devil. There's only two choices. And so not only did they miss the Passover, but they they, they had a misused purpose. They'd taken the temple, and they were using it in a way for personal gain. And when you as a disciple step away from the will of God and the word of God, listen to me, you use this temple for personal gain. And you say, well, I'm still going to, you know, do this and this. Friend, listen, you're, you're all in or you're all out. In the eyes of God, there's no in-between. If you're all in, Matthew 6, 33, he'll add all these things into you. He'll order your steps. Third notice, though, not only a missed Passover and a, a misused purpose, but I want you to notice a marvelous promise. A marvelous promise. And, you know, you may be here this morning and, you know, you're discouraged. Maybe you're discouraged now because of what you've heard. You know, it's an oh me instead of a uh, oh my. Uh, but, you know, respond to the Lord in, in, in the invitation. But this, this is a great word of encouragement this morning. Verses 17 through 22. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. He's, he's turned the tables up. So you don't hear that in a praise course today, do you? You know, when Jesus whipped everybody at church with the knotted plow line, uh, so his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? The leaders say, hey, you're acting as if you've got authority. What authority do you, you, know, can, you do, can you perform a sign? Because the First Corinthians 1, the Jews require a sign. Can you, can you show us a sign to often authenticate that you've got power to do this? Again, it shows that he came into his own, but his own received him not. John 1:14. And, and, and the word God became flesh. And that word f- dwelt means tabernacled. And the word God became flesh and tabernacled among us. There, there, they were in a temple where the Spirit of God once reigned and, and, and the Shekinah glory of God once resided, but that departed. But 30 year, 33 years earlier, the, the Spirit of God, the glory of God came back down in a manger in Bethlehem, and began to tabernacle in a body of flesh and blood, which was the man, Jesus Christ. And there he was in their midst. But sad verse, John chapter 1, verse 11, he came into his own, and his own received him not. What, what, what sign do you show us to show us you've got the authority to do this? Now look at verse number 19. Jesus answered and said, I'll give you a sign. Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, says the natural man perceives not the things of God, Neither can he know them for their foolishness to them, because they're spiritually discerned. There's like, how are you going to tear it down? Where's the wrecking ball? Who, who's, who's going to help you tear down this temple? It took us 46 years to build this, to make all these additions. How, how are you going to do this? Verse 21, but Jesus was speaking of the temple of his own body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said to them and believed the Scripture and the Word which Jesus had said. I don't ask you to do this too often. Uh, we usually stay in the same text. But turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's where we'll close out this morning as we look at this glorious promise that Jesus had made. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days, he says, I'll, I'll raise it up. Well, again, Paul writing to that challenged church there in Corinth. Chapter 15 is, is about... Uh, the resurrection and about the rapture, and there were those who didn't believe that it was possible for Jesus to be resurrected from the dead after he died in the place of all men for their sin. But the Bible says in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians 15, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how are some among you that say there's no resurrection from the dead? Greek culture began to influence them inside the church. Did you hear that this morning? There were people who had said they had trusted Christ to be Lord of their life, believed that He died, rose again, but now they're starting to believe there's no way that a man could be resurrected from the dead. The Greek culture began to influence them rather than the truth of God's Word. I'm telling you, my friend, you better be careful and you better be sensitive about all the conduits that the devil's trying to sow into your life to implant worldliness that's going to bring you from a place of being spiritually fervent and hot, and lead you to a place of being lukewarm. There were members of that church who they weren't even sure Jesus could rise from the dead. Verse 14, and, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. Your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, in fact, whom he did not raise up, if, what, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Friend, Jesus rose. It was God's stamp of approval that he had accepted Christ's death as a payment for past, present, and all our future sins. And said, He is my sinless Son. Verse 18, Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Now listen, if we in this life only have hope in Christ, if he didn't rise from the dead, then we are all men to be most pitiable, to be pitied if Christ didn't rise from the dead. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed to man once to die and then to the judgment. I don't care how healthy you... Listen, we go to funerals, we hear of friends that have passed away, loved ones, but somehow we wake up every day and we think somehow that we are invincible and we've got all the time in the world. Friend, I want you to know, just as sure as sand goes through an hourglass... Your life's the same way. There's a time appointed when you're going to die. And then's going to come the judgment. But good news for those who have been saved. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8 says, Spiritually, in spirit, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Your body falls to the ground dead or lays dead, but your spirit is going to go in one of two places. To be in the presence of Christ, if you've repented and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, or to spend eternity in a place called hell, if you didn't. But there your spirit's going to stay until one glorious day comes about. Look at verse number 15, uh, 15 uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. This, I hope this will be an encouragement. Someone's missing a loved one this morning. You're missing someone that you wish was here beside you today. You just, you're thinking about them and you miss them. Friend, I hope this verse will help you today. Now, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortality must put on immortality. So then when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, but the strength of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, Jesus said, I'm going to die. I'm going to give my life a ransom. They're going to put my body in the tomb, but in three days later, by the power of God, I'm going to rise from the dead. And God's promise is this, friend. One of these days, he's coming back to rapture his church. And if you're here, you're just going to be changed and you're going up. But if you've already died, your soul will have been in the presence of God from the time you died until the time the rapture takes place. But here's the news. That body, in whatever state, friend, it went into the ground, whatever state they cremated it, whatever happened to your body, the Bible promises this. Just as Jesus, by the power of God, raised himself, you're going to be raised in incorruption. What a great promise. You're going to have a brand-new body one day just like Jesus Christ. So what's, what's the encouragement? What's the response to all of that? Look at verse number 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Because of that great encouragement, because we know that Jesus is coming again, because we know, friend, that we're going to have brand new bodies one day, just like Jesus Christ, that can inherit eternal things. Listen to me. You can't go to heaven in a sinful body. These bodies are marked by sin. They have to be changed before we can spend eternity in a place called heaven. One of these days, that's going to happen. And because of that truth, because we know Jesus is coming again, verse 58, listen, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast. Because of this great word of encouragement, Jesus is coming back. You're going to be changed. You're going to have a brand new body that's free of cancer, free of diabetes, free of gout, free of headaches, free of migraines, free of COVID, free of of everything that attacks our bodies. One day, we're going to be free of it. We're going to have a brand new body. He says, because of that, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Now, some of you look like, when you're looking at me this morning, like you just found out your mother-in-law's come to stay with you. But I just want to tell you this morning, friend, this truth encourages my heart because this world, friend, is on fire with sin. It, I, it, I feel like, listen, the patience have taken over the hospital, and they've locked up all the doctors. The warden's in jail, and the prisoners are running everything. But, friend, listen, I've got an encouragement. Jesus is coming back, and he's going to set things right. And so until that happens, I'm going to choose to be steadfast. I'm going to choose to be immovable. The church may end up being lukewarm in the last days because Jesus said it was, but I don't have to be that way. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to be immovable. I choose to always be abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing, praise God, that that work is not in vain. It's not in vain! And so, don't miss the opportunities that Jesus has for you today. He came to the temple that day. We don't see where anybody received anything that he had to offer Him today. Don't miss Jesus today. See Him. If you've never been saved from your sin, listen, and don't pack up. These are the three most important things I want to share with you. If you've never received Jesus to be Lord of your life, you're heading toward hell. That's what the Bible says. You need to choose to turn from sin and receive Jesus to be Lord of your life today. Don't don't miss Him. Church family, don't don't miss Jesus when we worship. Don't just get called up in in what we do. It's it's another Passover. Going to the temple, it's another Passover. Don't miss Jesus. When you study the Word tomorrow, you, you have that quiet time. Don't don't just, well, got to read my daily bread. No, see Jesus. See him. When you hear those songs on the radio, those worship songs, don't just hear the beat. Don't just hear the the voice of, oh, I I love their voice. See Jesus in them. And if you can't see Jesus, don't listen to it. But see Jesus. Don't, Don't miss him. Don't just go through the motions. I want to ask you a question Who's Lord of your tabernacle today? Who is, who's calling the shots of your body and your life today? If It's not Jesus giving back his tabernacle. He bought it with his blood. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Giving back his tabernacle. and Praise God, be encouraged. Choose to be steadfast and movable. Always abound in the work. Because what a promise. God says, even though you may think it is, even though Satan tries to tell you it is, no work done for Christ is in vain. Praise His holy name. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you've never been saved, won't you turn and trust Him? Listen to me. What determines where you spend eternity is what you do with Jesus Christ. Not how religious you are, not how many churches you join. If there's never been a moment where the Spirit of God convicted you of your lostness and your sin, and you chose to turn from it and trust Jesus, what He did on the cross, His death and His resurrection as a payment for your sins, and you've chosen him to be Lord of your life, you're lost today. You're lost. But I've got good news to share. He loves you. He died for you. And he's here, my friend, and he wants to save you if you'll only choose to turn and submit your life to his lordship. Won't you do it right now? Silently where you sit if you've never done that. Won't you begin to pray just like this and mean it with all your heart? God, forgive me a sinner. Forgive me of my sin. I turn from it. I believe you died, I believe you rose, and I submit my life to your Lordship today. For the first time in my life, I mean these words with all my heart. Save me, Jesus, be Lord of me. Our heads are bowed and her eyes are closed. Did you, did you see him this morning? Have you responded to him? In just a moment, they're going to begin to sing, and I'm going to stand right down here at the front. If you chose to trust Jesus today, I want to encourage you in that decision. Nobody's going to be watching. Step out into one of these aisles and make your way to the front. Say, I, I trust in Him. I saw Him. I've trusted Him. I've made Him Lord of my life today. And I want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Church family, would you be honest before God right now? The Spirit of God speaking to you. Who is Lord of your tabernacle? And my friend, if you're Lord of part of it, then He's Lord of none of it. Does Jesus have the key to every room that's in your life today? If He doesn't, give Him back the keys. Give Him back the keys. Choose right now to say, Lord God, forgive me. Thank you for the day you saved me. But God, I've begun to try to call the shots in my life. I've stepped away from study, I've stepped away from service. I'm, I'm, I've stepped away from the intent that you gave me spiritual life from, from, from the Passover of sin's judgment. You've brought me to this place of abundant life. I've crossed over. It's all about me. and It's not about you. Forgive me. I turn. Give me revival. God, touch my, touch my body that is in spirit that's fainted today and revive me. And God, set me on a new path spiritual renewal and restoration. Jesus be Lord of this tabernacle. Father, I pray you'll encourage your church, those that love you, those, God, that in these days are part of a righteous remnant. They're not going to turn to the right or to the left. They're going to keep moving forward. God, the devil tries so hard to discourage us and to dismay us. Remind us again, God, of this great promise. One of these days, God, by grave or air, we're going to step into your presence. There are those today, Lord, that are brokenhearted because of a loved one in Christ that's with you now. And we can't see them. Oh, God, remind us of this great promise. They're going to have a brand new resurrection body one day, and we're going to see them again. We're going to be with them, but most of all, we're going to be with you for all eternity. God, help us to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding to the work, and remind us always. God, remind us, remind us, remind us. It is not in vain. It is not in vain. You are glorified through it all. Speak to your church. I pray we'll not miss this opportunity to respond to your word and your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's stand to our feet.